Go ahead and open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter, oh not 5. Yeah, I scared y'all, didn't I? Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I want you to go. Today we're going to finish um, our mini-series, which is in the midst of our bigger series, as we've been dealing with the image of God. And Peyton got this whole thing started a couple of weeks ago as he's dealing with these Pharisees and, and these Herodians who have come to Jesus and they've tried to trap him. They want to know, hey, is it lawful to pay this tax to Caesar? And, and the reason is because on this particular tax there was Caesar's image. It's like, well, what should we do? And it's a trap. And the reason they're trying to trap him is because if Jesus says, uh, you know, no, you don't have to do that, they're going to turn him into the government. And they're going to say he's trying to, you know, have this, this insurrection. If he says, well, yes, you need to pay the tax, then the crowds are not going to be happy about this, and many are going to stop following him. But Jesus says something that is absolutely brilliant. He says, look, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the things that have his image on it. You give that back to him. But he says, those things in my image, they are to be given back to me. And we talked about what that is. We, as humanity, we have been made in the image of God. But what does that mean when we give, give God, give back to God what belongs to him, which is this very image of ourselves? And, and we talked about that last week, remember? The scribe comes to Jesus, and he's, he's serious, and he's wanting to know what is the greatest command. And that it's there that Jesus answers the question, what it is that God wants from us. He wants everything from us. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. All of it. And the second, of course, is loving your neighbor as yourself. Today, what happens is Jesus shows us what this looks like. What does it look like for someone to actually give all of themselves, all they have to God? And, and, and we're going to see. But before he does that, <clears throat> he's going to jump on some scribes. You ready for this? So we begin in verse 38. It says, in his teaching, he said, now he's at the temple. He says, beware of the scribes, you who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus, if you're not catching this, he's just thrown the scribes under the bus and then he backed back over them, <laughs> Right? I mean, he absolutely throws down on him. He, they, he rebukes them because they're parading around in these, these long flowing robes that distinguish themselves from common Jews. They're trying to show we're the smart ones, we're the people of honor. Uh, they, um, they, they want the best seats. They, they try to get the best seats at the synagogue and, and the ones that were the sacred seats and then at the feast because when you got the best seats, then everybody realized you must be someone who is important. And then even their prayers, long prayers. And we said in class, the, the long prayers is not the problem. It's the pretense of those prayers, right? 
It's the fact that they were wanting other people to listen in on their prayers and think, wow, look how holy they are. Look how pious these folks are. And then it just got worse. It just got worse because now we realize they are devouring the houses of widows. And that's what happens when you no longer are trying to live in the image of God, but you're trying to make an image for yourself. And you don't see that as being a problem. And it says they devoured widows' houses. And that word devour in the Greek, it's a really interesting word. It, it, it's a word that means to eat, to uh, eat something up greedily. We have a, a term in our day and time, right? And I've, I've had, I got three boys, and they would bring other friends over. And you know what I'm about to say, the saying, they are eating me out of what? House and home, right? We get this idea of devouring. But this was certainly even much worse. And we're not exactly sure what they were doing. He just doesn't tell us. They were also lawyers because a lot of folks were illiterate and they couldn't write and read and everything else. And so the Jewish people really counted on it. Widows would have counted on them and, and handling their estate and, and doing other things. And maybe it sounds like they probably were trying to cheat them out of some things. Maybe they were, uh, the way they devoured their houses is, you know, they have these unpaid bills. And so they say, well, look, I'll take your house kind of thing. We don't know. We're not given exactly what it is. What we do know and what they knew is that the prophets warned against this kind of behavior. Those who try to make widows their spoil. Jesus has come as a prophet once again, and he pronounces judgment upon them. He says they will receive the greater condemnation. You know, it reminds me of some of these televangelists that you see. I think it's much worse back in my day and time as far as this kind of, than it is today, not to say it's definitely not the problem, but you have these televangelists, and they're, they're always trying to prey on people who are elderly, the widow, the poor, and they say, look, if you, if you give money to us, if you give all this stuff to us, then we're going to pronounce a blessing upon you, and, and you're going to have this, or you're going to be healed, or whatever, and then if it doesn't happen, guess what they say? They say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. And those kinds of scoundrels are out there, I'm just here to tell you. There's a lot of good ones on the airwaves. There's a lot of good ones that you can stream. And, and we shouldn't look at all, all of those who are out there in this way. But unfortunately, there are scribes who live among us. And they only use religion to make themselves look good, to, make, to turn themselves into rock stars, and in order to get money and fleece the people of everything they have so they can live in this lap of luxury. He says a greater condemnation is coming. Okay, now we're ready for the latter part. You ready for this? Verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in, a, in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those 
who were contributing to the offering box. And they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The, the, blind, this, the blind widow, the widow here is a lot like blind Bartimaeus. Remember when we got to blind Bartimaeus, he like completes that whole section. It's like everything Jesus is talking about here, this is what it's supposed to be. And, and here we come to the end of chapters 11 and 12, and that's what we find. It's like this is what it is. Because when we come in chapter 11, Jesus comes to the Jerusalem, and he comes to the temple for the first time, and he inspects it. And what does he find? He finds it's become a den for robbers. And, 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 we, and Jesus is not happy. He comes back the next day, and he's overturning you know, the money changers' tables, and he's throwing out the buyers and sellers of these animal sacrifices. And he took on the role of a prophet there as well. And he pronounced judgment on the temple. Now we come to the end of chapter 12. And this widow, this poor widow, that's being taken advantage of by the scribes, she walks into their den. She walks into the den of robbers. She becomes the object lesson for, uh, of every, everything that Jesus has been saying. The contribution of this poor widow, he says, was greater than many rich people who were, were throwing into these collection boxes. And we look at that and we say, well, how is that possible? How is that possible? I mean, she gives, in our terms, a couple of pennies. They were known as leptons there. But he says there at the end, they gave out of their abundance of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Jesus says she has given all. That is the word holos. It's where we get our English word whole. She gave all, whole, she had to live on. And suddenly we're drawn right back to last week. And what Jesus said is the greatest command and that is to love the Lord your God with holos, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The widow shows us what it looks like for someone to live by the greatest command. She's just an example of that. She gives with all her heart, her soul, her substance. And folks, I want you to understand, this is more than just about giving. This is about being disciples. And that our giving is a part of that. Sometimes we want to separate you know, our financial things because we're very private people. And we want to separate that from our spiritual experience. But all along, Jesus says, you can't do that. In Matthew and Luke, both, Jesus gave warnings. He says, you can't serve Two masters, you've got to choose. Are you going to serve God with your whole heart? Or are you going to try to serve, you know, money? Money, talking about your money, it's talking about your possessions, all of those things. And he says you can't hold on to both. That was the problem with the rich ruler, right? The rich ruler just couldn't, couldn't do it. 
Why? Because what Jesus was showing him and saying to him, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me, what he was showing is you have a divided loyalty. And here's this woman, and she becomes the exact contrast to the rich man. And she shows that she does not have a divided loyalty to God. Giving everything, which in our terms we'd say is basically nothing, she demonstrates the kind of faith that it takes to have in God. The kind of faith that widows had to have in the first century. And despite being poor, and despite being without honor, she loves God no less for it. Isn't that interesting? She doesn't say, you know what, if you'll make me wealthy, if you'll give me this, if you'll give me that, then I will love you. This woman is a nobody in her world. Nobody cares what she thinks. You think they came to her and said, well, how do you, what do you think about this Herod's temple complex? What would you add here? They're not going to ask her. No one's going to ask her to come to the, their feast and to sit at the best seats. And yet she still loves God. And she sacrifices all that she has in service to God. And we look at this and we may say, when somebody brought this up in class, it's a great point. Why would she give her last two pennies to such a corrupt system at the time, this den of thieves? And the answer to that is she wasn't given to them. When she came to the temple, she was giving to God. There was something, this has been many years ago. It's not a congregation I've ever served in. It's not in Florida, so don't try to guess. And it's actually someone that I love very deeply. But they made a real mistake, I believe. Uh, the, this person had used the, the, her church's fellowship hall for years and in doing these business meetings in the fellowship hall and everything else. And the elders came to her and decided, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not letting anyone else do this anymore. And she got angry and she quit giving because of this decision. And I don't know everything that went into the decision. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, no, people don't need to use church facilities for that reason. Others would say, well, you know, that would be a good thing to use the church facilities for that, have people that are coming in. And we could get into this debate, but let me hear, I'm here to tell you that's not what it's about. What it, was, what it became about was her money was based upon the decisions of other people. And it was not based upon God. And just trusting God as she gives her money that this is, this is not for them, this is for God. And trust me when I say that situation, <laughs> that's nothing in comparison to the corruption that was happening in the temple. And that's why Jesus elevated love of God and the love of neighbor above the sacred sacrifices of the temple themselves. Isaiah 1 opens up and God is bringing this, these legal suits against, against um, Israel. And he calls on heaven and earth. It's really interesting. He calls on creation to come and witness the charges. <laughs> And the reason for this is because they were living in rebellion to God. They were doing injustices to other people, including their own people. And so there he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says Yahweh. 
I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of, goat, or of goats. God tells them, your sacrifices are meaningless to me. Well, what do you want them to do, God? He goes on and he says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. And watch this. Plead the widow's cause. When we go through chapters 11 and 12, and all of this is Jesus at the temple. And this is, by the way, the last time Jesus is at the temple. What we're reading right now. And as we see this, as Jesus has now come to the temple and now we're to the end, who is it in this whole section that, that demonstrated what true love for God is about? Is it the people who are in charge of the temple and these great sacrifices to God? Or was it the poor widow who didn't have enough to purchase a respectable animal sacrifice? Who truly loves God? Is it the person who's come in today and they have taken the, the bread and the cup, but they will live in rebellion to Christ and they will take advantage of other people in their work and in their jobs and in their neighborhoods and in their, in their own church? Or is it the one who has come this morning and they are broken before God and in humility they come and they give thanksgiving to God and they demonstrate love to other people as they share with each one? For Jesus, the value of the gift is not the amount that one puts in, but it is the cost to the giver. And that point is going to be shown in a couple of chapters when there's going to be a woman and she pours this expensive perfume over Jesus' head. And monetarily, she gives so much more than this widow. But both of those situations, Jesus praises both women because they gave what they could. They gave something of cost to them. No gift is insignificant to give if it is given out of a love for God. And what some might consider a small gift, something that is very small, wouldn't even, wouldn't even keep a lamp going for an hour in our church building, but you give that out of a love for God, it can be greater than someone who may put in a million dollars. The poor widow didn't give enough to pay for a single stone in this in Herod's temple complex. But Jesus singles her out. That her offering is the most significant. And it shows that even the poor can contribute an offering that is worthy to God. None of the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, none of them noticed her that day. None of them after this said, you know what, 
that woman, let's put up a plaque. And let's put it out here on one of the stones in the temple complex. They didn't do anything to honor her. But Jesus did. Jesus honored her. And we're, we're seeing it right here in our text. He's been trying to teach his disciples this all along. What have we been learning? It's the last, the least, that will become great. And it is the greatest who becomes the least. Jesus wasn't concerned about his temple becoming, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world. He wasn't. God wasn't worried about it being the most elaborate building around the community, but believers with the biggest hearts who gave in devotion to God. That's what Jesus was truly concerned about. We're getting ready to take up our collection, and those of you who serve, you can go ahead and go out now. I want you to know that this is much of a part of our worship as anything else we've done today that includes taking the bread and the cup that includes our prayers our singing and you may say now come on now is that is it really there was a time when Paul he took up this collection for the poor Christians in Jerusalem and you may remember this and Paul writes to them because these folks were so generous and out of that he wrote this listen he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And watch this, how he describes the gifts. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And it's out of this spirit that we come and we give today. And that I want our hearts to focus on and to really think about as we come before our Lord and as we give back a portion of the goodness of God. Father, we come before you this day. We thank you so much for your blessings. Father, you, you are the God of this good earth and you have blessed us in this country like no one else. And Father, we just pray our hearts are stirred for you, whatever it may be that we're giving today whatever it is we decide to give next week, or whatever it may be that we decide to give in your name this week. And Father, we just give thanks to you for these offerings, and we now bring this offering back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to just look real quickly at the fact that Jesus said she gave all she had to live on. She became the fulfillment of something that Jesus had spoken about earlier back in Mark 8. Where he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. She had everything all her life, and she just gave it there and before God. And she's not like the scribe we talked about last week, who knows what the two greatest commands are, and, and is sincere. But still, it says, so close to the kingdom, this woman's not close. She's there. She's giving God everything that she's had. She's not like the rich man who had a, a divided loyalty. And she certainly didn't earn her way into the kingdom with two pennies. But those coins, they represented what it takes to be in the kingdom of God 
undivided devotion to God, to Christ. She lives in the image of Christ because by the end of this week, Jesus, he's going to give his whole life, his whole existence for humanity. He's going to give his ransom for many. Why? Because he loved God and because he loved us. You know, there are many aspects of our devotion to God that we could reflect on when we talk about the Shema, this, this number one command. But where Mark leads us here is he wants us to focus on our own money, our own finances, our own possessions. And I want you to drive a little bit deeper into the pool, if you will. And I want you to think about what God has blessed you with. Some of you may say, you know what, where I am, uh, I'm, I'm in debt. And the reason is because I haven't treated what God has blessed me with in, in the right way. And some say, well, I'm even further than that. I can't even pay the bills that I promised that I would pay at one time. And there's some people in here, and you may say, you know what, I don't have any debts. In fact, I got money in the bank, but, but I believe that maybe what's happening in my life is, is I'm not really truly sold out with God with these things. I no longer see the destitute. And what we're going to do, and as we drive this even further in, and that's what I want us to do this morning, is really to contemplate this question on our hearts, and that is this. Am I giving my heart, soul, mind, and strength? in my possessions, in my goods, in my monies. And I want you to ask God just this one single question, and we're just going to take a time of silence so you can contemplate this question. And I just want you to ask God this. God, reveal to me, reveal to me if, if this, what I'm doing with these things. Reveal to me if I really have taken my money and my possessions and whatever it may be and that I truly believe that it's yours and I truly believe that I'm giving, I'm giving of this. Where's my heart? In my possessions, in my things, where's my heart? And as you go into this, you may feel a real pricking in your heart and you may want to start talking to God about it, but it may be you just want to be silent and just listen. Or let's just take a moment and let's let this drive this home even further than where it is. Because I know this is a very private issue for a lot of folks, but God does not intend this to be separated from him. God, reveal to me right now what it is you want me to know about my, or my resources. What I encourage you to do is to do this for the rest of the week. Just, just focus, just go back and read the account of the poor widow and just keep asking God, God, do I love you with what I have, with all I have? And just keep contemplating that over and over this week. We're doing these 90 days of prayer every day. There's something that we are to be praying about. Add that to your prayer. Set an alarm every day. You're going to say this prayer, and you're just going to sit with it as you ask this prayer, just as we did earlier today, and we're doing again.
But I know there may be some this morning and, and you realize you need more help. Your heart's crushed. But at the same time, you realize you've got a real problem with spending. You've got a real problem in how you use your funds. And like I said, some may be in debt. Some may be worse. Some may not be in debt, but they no longer seeing seeing the hurting people who are around them. And you need prayers and you need support. And more than anything, we need the Spirit of God to continue to dwell in us, to guide us, to help us in every moment of our decisions. And that includes even our finances. And if we can help anybody, it may be that this is something you've already turned over to God, but it may be that you, you just need more prayers, or maybe it's something else you're just hurting, or maybe there's something you're really excited about that God has done in your life. We want to give you that opportunity now as together we stand and as we sing.